Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ambulance and Clavio. It's myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, good. Thanks. Um, yeah, as I said a minute ago, pretty caffeinated this morning, but yeah, good. How are you doing? Excellent. So totally wired for this podcast. You're in New York, aren't you? Are you having fun? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, the weather's unreal. I'm uh, yeah, very pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah. Uh, lucky you. Well, I'm in downcast, grey, miserable England today, um, but we're going to cheer everyone up with a uh, exciting and useful uh, uh, podcast. So um, thanks to everyone who's a regular listener who's tuning back in and a warm welcome if this is the first time you've joined us. We hope you like it. Do subscribe to get regular alerts and we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify and Apple. Right. So our topic today is what does good project communication look like for e-commerce projects and specifically replatforming? What we're going to cover is what are the risks of poor comms? the stakeholder groups you need to plan for, proven techniques um, and tooling, the importance of um, not not just relying on emails for communication. So I, I guess let, let's start with, with the basics. Like, What are the risks of not doing this? So if I give my thoughts, Paul, then you let us know from your experience, what, what have you seen happen when there's poor comms? So the main thing for me is you need to get all your key stakeholders on board and participating and sharing in the project success from the start to help you as a project owner or sponsor or PM to get the best best delivery. If you don't communicate effectively, then you find that some people aren't on board, they don't prioritise their time, and it gets really, really hard to get them to do what you want when you really need to, and especially when you need them to do things at short notice. If they don't feel like you've taken the time to give them the respect they deserve – you're unlikely to get it back from them when you really need it. You've got to get people on the side and you do that through really clear communication and certain expectations. And the other thing is that if you don't communicate clearly, people can go off and do things they think are right, but aren't actually what the project needs. And that can cause inefficiency and it can slow you down. And then it can also really, really wind them up because if they think they're contributing, but you then tell them what they've done is wrong, they've wasted that time and it is a bit jarring. So I think those to me are the two key risks. What, what have you seen? What, what the... What are the risks if people don't communicate properly? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you've, yeah, the ones you've just mentioned are really important. I think the other one is, I think, if people don't give people enough notice it's for tasks or any kind of expectations around their involvement, I think people will typically or can uh, end up being quite negative about the project. And that seems to kind of uh, grow. And I think some of the biggest things I've seen around launches and replatform project is you basically just need to avoid people being against the project or in any way negative because it just spirals and like you know ends up working its way up and yeah I think the key is like you said getting everyone bought in but also just avoiding frustration because I think that can impact um kind of someone's impression of a project yeah the negative point is so important and and that's tied in I think as well with with resource prioritization if if you don't engage the senior stakeholders who own the resource so they are the team leaders senior managers if you don't show them the respect that they deserve as senior parts of the business you sometimes find friction and even politics creeping in where they're like well sod you you didn't engage my part of the business I'm not going to give my team's prior uh, resource to you when you most need it. So there is a delicate balance out there. Um, So with those risks identified, uh, do you want to walk us through then? Who who do you need to communicate with and why? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like um, some of this stuff I'm a bit of a hypocrite with because I do also think this is something I'm quite weak at, actually. And there's been a number of projects that I kind of like operate in isolation. Um, but I guess really, like you want to communicate with as many people as possible, even if you've got different levels and it's kind of like high level communication around the project and kind of what it means to the business. All of that stuff is really important. I think some of the ones that often get missed. So third party agencies so i've definitely seen like a lot of projects where things like affiliate agencies or p- performance marketing agencies or kind of like niche more like display focused agencies for example just don't know about the project and then suddenly just for launch you're like you know you need to re-add your pixels or you need to pause campaigns etc and yeah same principles apply like you can frustrate them or it can just not get done or you end up losing out on you know you end up a couple of days about activity etc so that's an important one at the start of a project I think it's important to list out those agencies and kind of yeah get them bought in early um obviously internal stakeholders is a big one I think customer services is one that often gets missed um and that's a really important one because you know if you're replatforming chances are you know you're probably gonna need people to like reactivate accounts or reset passwords all of that kind of stuff and that will usually have an impact on customer services um and there's various other things like that that impact customer services and you might be switching technologies which can impact them etc etc um it teams another one and then i've got internal and external it here so like things like you know anything to do with the dns needs to be communicated really early and planned in and um yeah if you're outsourcing that kind of stuff that can be a bit of a nightmare and i've definitely seen that uh, with projects in the past where you know people have given like two weeks notice to an IT team that are managing yeah DNS or emails or whatever else and you know if you're adding any other variables like changing domain name and all of that kind of stuff that um, can be a bit annoying um broader business comms so yeah just wider business i think it's important to know for the wider business know that there is a replatforming project happening what it means etc what the likely impacts of it are um yeah and then the last one i've got down here is things like the free pl so that's another one that can go um uh that can be missed and like things like test orders and you know just making sure that those teams are available. Like I did one recently and we didn't really involve the free PL at all until quite near the end. And then we actually ended up needing to needing them to like customize a few bits on their end for certain orders that are coming through. And yeah, it would have been much easier if we had notified them earlier or they were kind of a bit more aware of the project. So I guess, yeah, long story short, as many people as possible, anyone that's kind of directly impacted by ecom. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think people don't take enough time at the start to map this out. Um, and it's classic, um, you know, we're coming to the myth like racy management, uh, you know, people are responsible, accountable, you know, those who are consulted or informed, but you need to know that people are involved. So yeah, I think it's really good. External is a classic one. Um, I also think there, there are other sub audiences who don't need to have such regular communication, but you need to think about how you keep them informed and therefore, enthused and believing that the decisions are being made correctly and that's senior leadership team so you'll have a sponsor but that sponsor is part of a wider leadership team what is the mechanism for communicating to those people uh, and keeping it very simple they don't want the detail they don't want to hear about the agonizing you have to do to fight all the little fires they want to know key issues 
uh, yeah, risks, mitigations, fixes, resolutions, just high high level dashboard summary stuff. So thinking through who who they are and what you have to communicate and getting that agreed with your sponsor up front can take away a lot of headaches later on from people going, you're not communicating clearly enough. And the, the other one linked to that, and people sometimes don't want to, but uh, often you need to, are investors. Uh, you know, investors who have a, a keen financial interest in the success of the project, but also the budgetary control, making sure that you've got a very succinct um, process for how that, that goes up. As and typically that is the sponsor's responsibility for ensuring that that communication goes up through through the board and into it. But you do have to think these through because there's nothing worse as a, a project, an e-commerce lead on a project suddenly having a uh, an investor trying to pull your side or pull apart what you're doing that you're not expecting because it hasn't been thought through. So trying to think about all the potential objections you can have from different parts of the business if they're not communicated to is a, is a good way of framing it. And then go, right, what do they need from me in order to keep them at bay so I can focus on my project? Um, so let's talk about some proven, proven techniques then to help achieve that. So um, the, the first ones on my mind always are, a proper project briefing for internal teams. And th this can be done in multiple ways. So for dispersed teams, it's, it's far harder to do face-to-face, um, -face, especially now that we've got genuine hybrid work in a lot of businesses where not the whole team aren't always in the office on the same days. It becomes very hard to do physical in-person meetings for everyone unless you run multiple ones, but that can create extra work and inefficiency. So finding a way and agreeing how you do the internal briefing. And that, number one, you've got to define the brief, which is what we're doing, why we're doing it, what's our scope, how are we going to run this, who's the project team, what are the key timelines, what are your roles, any questions sort of thing. Those are the key elements of that briefing. But you do it, do it, don't just send out a document. It's really impersonal. Get the face-to-face, -face, whether it's on a video or it's in, in person. Give people a chance to, to question what's going on, ask you how, how it's going to go, anything they're not sure about, if they didn't quite understand what their role was meant to be. Get that all out the way up front and then you can create a different version of that document for external parts so coming back to your point paul there, there might be some things you talk about internally that are a bit more commercially sensitive you don't want that transparent like media agencies you know or three pls but create a sanitized version of your brief to send to the external partners so they've got at least the key information of the project and they can align their resource with it and that leads into my second point which is the race seat that i mentioned earlier and it, that literally is the table of the different roles. You're not talking about the people. It's not listing every person. It's a role. So, for example, a role is a project manager. We need a project manager. The project manager's responsibilities are A, B, and C, you know, running the project charter, running project updates. Now, who do I assign to the project manager role? But you start with the roles and responsibilities. And it's a really good way of getting discipline from the start because you can very quickly map out all the project roles and then look at your existing stakeholders, who sits naturally with each of them, and then you can very quickly identify gaps you might have where you don't have the right skill set to fulfill a role. And then you have a very um, uh, frank discussion about how you do that. Do you, do you second somebody? Do you accept that that, that um, skill set might not be on the project and you look at what the risk is and you mitigate it? Or do you put money in uh, to, from your project budget to, to bring in a contractor to fill that? Yeah. So those are my those are my starting points. What, what about you? What what are some techniques that you advise for good communication, mate? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think um, that's a really good point around the race too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, internal kickoff meeting calls is one that you've put here. I think that's really important. And I think they like uh, kind of referring back to one of the points you made originally, I think just get making sure people are bought in and feel involved in a project can make a big difference and make them more willing to put time into things and take on deliverables or support when you're lacking resource etc etc so I think that's a really important one um, so you probably want a few different kickoff meetings involving a few different stakeholders but I think that's always quite a nice way to start a project um, yeah and then you've you've put here as well give stakeholders inputs before starting workshops so I think that's always really good as well so one you're making people prepared and you're kind of giving them a lot more uh, kind of context into the project but I've yeah recently we did um, a few documents and um, basically got some of the creative stakeholders from a brand to do a bit of homework and like that was quite a like strategic uh, move to try and get them a bit bought in and like yeah basically also prepare some of the people that were doing the design work for like their views and things like that but yeah anything like that again same principle like just getting people involved early on is just gonna make them more likely to help and also get the most out of their time etc yeah it's that kind of more is less principle give them more at the start and then you can refine your approach to involvement as you learn more about who's best in which situations um yeah, I think those are the briefing things for, for any meetings internally. I, I have a simple maxim and I encourage anyone to adopt because I've seen too many businesses will arrange a meeting and people turn up with no bloody idea what they're there for. There's no structure to it and there's no goals and outputs and there's no one documents it. So people come out not knowing what's going on. It, it, I've got a simple maxim, which is no meeting can go ahead without a clear goal and agenda. And therefore, uh, uh, the people coming to it know why they're there and what their contribution will be and that there is an outcome that's targeted from that work. Now, you might not achieve the outcome. That's fine because sometimes things become more complicated than you first expect and you have to go to a second stage of analysis before you can wrap it up but if you don't start with that structure meetings become an absolute pain in the ass and waste of time and you lose so much um, momentum in the project um i i like in at least initially until you 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 work out the perfect cadence is a weekly stand-up or call where there are notes from it and this and this is this is really simple thing is what's happened what uh, what progress we made, what issues we wanted, uh, and we need to fix, and what's our priority for the week ahead. It's, it's four simple agenda points. And then there are simple notes from it, and there should there are always actions that come out of this. And that's why you have to have somebody who owns the documentation, the meet, I misspeak, the notes taken, the minutes, and circulation. That has to be clear, because otherwise you get you know four people in the meeting room, everyone goes off with slightly different views of what was agreed, and then nobody circulates anything. And then you go up to somebody two days later, Oh, you're going to send out the notes? Oh, no, I thought you were. So that's critical. And I've done this recently. I did this during lockdown with a client where we ended up having two weekly stand-ups because we had two diff- two sets of stakeholders because they were in the offices, um, different offices in different times of the week, where we just said, you know what, sod it, we're going to suck up the project time because the communication is so important. And we did um, half-hour stand-ups. Um, I think it was 30 minutes on a Tuesday and 30 minutes on a Wednesday. Same stand-up to two different groups. And then we aligned the meeting notes and we sent out one set of notes to every stakeholder in the project. It worked quite nicely. And then on larger projects, the other thing that, that I think people should consider is having a dedicated project engine room. So this is like, you know, on a, on a murder inquiry where they have the like the uh, the instant room, basically a, a, a piece of, of the office that's dedicated to the project team. So that project team can be sat next to each other 
to make you know speaking to each other far uh, quicker and more dynamic um give them the space and you know, give them like you know whiteboards and meeting space so that they've got that so they don't have to scramble around when they need a critical urgent meeting and find out there's no meeting rooms available for two days uh, it's well worth it. Uh, this suits larger businesses. But ironically, actually, some of the businesses I've seen do this best are small startups without big teams because they have office space that isn't being filled out yet. So, What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. What else, from your point of view, makes good communication? Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, yeah, these two, again, feel slightly hypocritical because I'm not amazed at these things or like, you know, there's areas we could be a lot stronger with business. Um, but yeah, kind of action logs. So this is something that I think I've definitely started to appreciate so action log prioritization and then clear owners of tasks this is something that i do a lot more of now so historically i was quite scrappy and like i said i just kind of operate in isolation but yeah i think all of this stuff's really important um even yeah you know like minutes and notes from calls all of that stuff um yeah i think is really important and um that particular that kind of action log and sending maybe a weekly email just kind of provide an insight into this stuff i think is really important um and then escalation so just having a clear escalation process making it clear who the points of escalation are um yeah and basically just having something down for that um for when that's needed and i think that is really important um yeah yeah i think that like, that's really important because i've again i've seen projects where people haven't talked about escalation paths and, and who who do things get escalated and this is both in the client side to the sponsors so that something can be unpicked if there's internal blockers or it's to the third parties you're working with where a senior resource is needed you know, for example uh, you're working with uh, a, an integration company and they're saying this isn't part of the scope and there's a disagreement and you need it fixed so it's really important because if you don't have clear escalation paths where decision making can be can be um, sorted you end up with confrontation and we both know once you start into negative confrontation, it's, it's quite damaging to the the uh, relationship, and that can really be dis- a really like negative experience in the project. Um, my last one on effective comms, and uh, yeah, for everyone listening, I'm not saying but that I've exhausted all of the points you could make on good project communication, but it's documentation. It's so important, and there are different levels of documentation. So there are. The project level documents that a project manager would run, like a project raid, for example, project updates. And um, there's scoping documentation. Um, the one that that I think is is missed in in too many projects is an internal document that maps is a task tracker basically. So a PM will have a full raid log, which will have all of the risks, actions, issues, and decisions. The day to, you know, the everyday stakeholder doesn't need to have access and to see that it's too much information. But what is really useful is to distill that into real simple. I've done this in Google Sheets, a protected Google Sheets, so many times. It's literally a replica of all of the actions that the internal business stakeholders have to take with the priorities against them, with the deadlines, and with the summary of what they are, and with a status check. And then you just put these standard filters on. So, you know, if Paul wants to filter it to only see his tasks, he just clicks on his filter and then he's only got his task. Really nice way of getting it all in one. And what you can then do is you add a summary sheet to it, which shows 
use add a lovely little pie chart which does progress and you can show week to week progress last week we're at 30 percent complete this week at 58 percent. big smiley face well done team great progress it's amazing how just simple visualization like that when people are bogged down in the detail when you hit your development phases and your early sprints it can feel like an endless number of tasks being added on added on added on and it can be really demotivating for people who aren't used to this because all they see is shit in front of them not like uh, the blue skies but then being told well done you've completed your 58 percent through versus 30 percent it's amazing how it can just alleviate that that feeling of pressure yeah, absolutely. Yeah, visualizing progress. I think that's really important. And um, and actually, yeah, even just keep some of the mo- like. There's probably some extra points we could have made around like motivating people as well through these projects because they can be like massive projects. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting one. Like across all teams, like motivation is really important. Um, so the next one that I've got. So what are the key ongoing updates through the project? So I guess uh, the first one I've got is progress around development and it's kind of like what you were saying um, there. I think just giving people showing that there's progress being made. So you might have some like qualitative uh, inputs there, but then also like a number or a percentage um, way through the project on that side. So I think that's really important. And that's kind of a broader update that you can give to a broader set of stakeholders. Um, I always, I think the internal deliverables, uh, so, you know, this is one of the biggest risks to a project making sure the internal teams are ready and actually do the work and are being held to account etc so i think just making sure that right from the start you're just sending updates on expectations for internal deliverables from different stakeholders and members of the team um, and then as you get to a certain point maybe like halfway through the project start talking about launch start involving people in launch making roles clear making any changes to the scope clear all of that kind of stuff so I think that's really important and then lastly just any changes around processes as well um, and what I actually meant by this was more like so like maybe it's like the merchandising team and you know the platform actually really impacts how they do things um, from like a product or like production perspective so just making that really clear early on making sure you've kind of got sessions and they're aware they're not worried basically because i think that's the other thing you can get quite a lot of fear quite easily in replatform projects unnecessarily and regular comms um and sessions can counter that really easily um anything you'd add to that no i think actually i think you've summarized it nicely because it's basically it's about change management and i learned this years ago I was working with House of Fraser on a big replatforming and they appointed a a, a a specialist change manager and she was incredible she taught me a lot about how businesses do not under uh, uh, so businesses underestimate the impact of change on the business they focus on the technology project at the expense of the process and the training and the education so that people can be ready both um like, you know, physically in terms of being able to do the job, but also mentally in terms of how they will execute it. So I think that's critical. And on smaller projects, you don't have a change manager, right? You don't have the luxury. Typically, that's done by the bit that's expected to be done either between the PM and the business lead um, or the e-commerce lead or by the e-commerce lead when you don't have a PM. And it's a lot, you realise the responsibility, but at least having the milestones again well actually we're switching cms okay so we've got to have content management training we won't get we will have an amazing new site without content if we don't get them prepared and let's not leave it to the, the sites in staging that's got to be started three four months in advance so i think that's absolutely critical you're right knowing what your key key elements are that are changing 
and pre-planning those in advance so that people don't end up turning around going, we can't get this done. And I've seen sites, you know, four to six weeks late simply because content isn't ready. Um, So, yeah, I think, no, there's nothing more I'd add. I think, yeah, just anyone listening, talk about change management. And if you don't know what it means, go and research online. There's a lot of good articles about um, how to manage for change and about how you need to identify the processes that that are changing and then look at the implications in your stakeholders and make sure they're educated on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that brings us on to like um, tooling, tech. What what can you use to help with these comms? What what's your take on it? Yeah, so I mean, we typically use Asana for kind of task management, progress monitoring um yeah all of that and i think asana has improved a lot over the last couple of years i mean obviously there's loads of other tools that do a very similar thing but um yeah asana's got particularly good for managing things like timelines and you know task dependencies and teams and even like some of the documentation stuff that historically you might end up using something like confluence with alongside asana um i think it has got a lot better and we've gradually moved more stuff into asana and stuff away from google sheets but we'd still use google sheets for a lot of stuff as well just where certain stakeholders might prefer that or you know it might be slightly better placed for the collaboration stuff um but yes we'd use that and then slack for comms typically um but with all of these there's so many different kind of options but yeah that's kind of what we've ended up working with um yeah, so I put here like one of the benefits of using a tool like Asana is you can uh, basically build a set of tasks, um, map those out against different groups of people, assign those out, um, put timelines in there, put the dependencies, everything else, and you can end up with a pretty decent Gantt chart, which can then be uh, used for kind of yeah internal comms, everything else, but also as like the master for the timeline. And that was something we've only recently started using, just because it just feels like something that's quite well placed for Excel and Google Sheets but we've recently moved that over um i think the hardest thing with something like asana is getting people to stick to it because the main reason why it's great is because you've got that point of reference and you can refer back to conversations and you know you can have sub conversations etc um but it needs to be used fully in order to kind of add that value um and then the last thing i'd say is quite often so on our average project an agency will have their tool stack um so that might be so an agency we're working with at the minute use basecamp for comms and then they use jira internally um so that's great and i think the same principles apply but then we would still have asana for our internal deliverables and everything else i think keeping those separate makes complete sense just because you want to have such different stakeholders and such different levels of comms in the internal one um so yeah i think that's that's always been beneficial to us yeah, it's an interesting point you made about Asana and make sure that people have to stick to it. I, I fully agree. I think those tools, whether it's Asana or Monday or whatever you choose, ClickUp, there are so many different ones. It, it, it's, it, culturally, it's got to be prioritised, and that comes from the, the project sponsor down. I, I've seen it in brands that have spent a lot of money on licences and nobody uses it. Somebody spent, it's like a glorified turd polishing exercise where people set up this lovely looking dashboard and go, look, aren't we organized? But we're not organized because people aren't using it. They haven't been trained on it. Uh, and most of the stuff's still done by email. So the whole point of the task management flow is gone. Um, and it, it's critical that you've, you've got to get people, uh, the culture's got to be there for people to buy in. And they've got to be told by the people who are their line managers that they need to buy into this process. Because if that doesn't happen from the start, it's game over. But I, I agree in principle, they're brilliant. And they simplify 
comms because of the alert management and the over-reliance on email in projects still winds me up. I, I keep telling clients it's going to end in tears. Someone will miss a key action. You'll forget it. It'll, it'll, some external emails will end up in junk folders or not make it through. People will think they've communicated or they're being ignored. And it's, you know, manage it far better. Um, the the only other thing I think I'd add, because um, I think I think you touched on it, you've got to just keep this simple, right? If you make the the tooling and the collab tools that the support is so complex, people won't use them. But the one bit where you sometimes need to get a little bit more expansive is it on really large complex programs where you might have multiple sub-projects working toward an overall program. Like for example, you've got a CRM piece alongside an e-commerce and there's a, an ERP integration flow and you've got a proper um, like project manager managing those interdependencies. Having a PMO or a project management office in those scenarios really adds value where where basically you have the central project team, you have all of the central project management, and normally that's that's where you get the project engine room I talked about earlier, and they will set the technology, and they might not need other people to use it, but they will have their set of tools for managing those projects and programs effectively, and then they will work with the wider stakeholder group to determine how that two-way flow of information. And my summary on this is basically it doesn't matter what tools you use, as long as you make the decision on merit, like, do you know why you're using a tool and what problem it solves and how you're going to use it? Have you communicated to the people who you need to use it? And are they basically, have they been motivated to use it? And also, do they know that they have to and it's not an optional thing? And then, are you know, are they trained up? So can they easily use them, find stuff, edit, update, share, etc.? If you If you take that structured approach and make sure people are brought into the process, then, yeah, I, I don't think the platform choice matters as much as actually just getting people using stuff yeah i completely agree um cool so i feel like we've we've probably covered the core core comments around what you know what's important to comms and how to achieve good comms in in e-commerce projects what would be your parting thought yeah i think um it's an interesting one I think it's just a case of probably you almost just need to plan this from the start and think about what could feasibly go wrong and, and just get it written down and almost have like a bit of a project plan around comms specifically. And then I think the other big one would be what we were just talking about there. If you are using a project tool, I think it can have an, a huge impact on how the project goes in terms of like yeah it being a smooth project but like you say only if everyone is bought in because actually it can cause more problems i'm a bad uh one of my bad habits is whatsapp with clients so quite often i'll be talking to people making decisions like outside of working hours on whatsapp and actually things like that just ruin asana completely so yeah i think it's um that's a really important or like yeah sticking to that tool and process is really important um yeah, I think they're probably my main two. Yeah, we'll all get we're all guilty of it though, because in in the heat of project pressure, especially when you've got concurrent projects, it's human nature to 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 slack, and that's why good project managers basically whip people into shape by um, basically saying that's not good enough, sort it out. And I, I've had people tell me before, no, that was our project. You know, you're right, hundred percent. And it's really important to remind yourself of that discipline. So my my parting thought is this is good communication basically means you've got a plan for what you want to share with whom and when. And it doesn't have to be perfect up front. You can finesse this. 
you can adapt as you progress to plug gaps. So you can increase and decrease your communication cadence as required. For example, yeah, on one project, I've moved from a weekly to a bi-weekly call to align with the sprints because the weekly call was just overkill. We didn't really have much to update on. And it was just a waste of 30 minutes of, of you know, seven or eight people's time. So we sat that, went every two weeks, and it worked way, way more effectively. Um, but with that said, I think more is better, more is better than less initially, because you can filter out. So you can take people off of meeting invites as you learn that actually that's not the best use of your time. And not everyone has to receive the same info. So just remember that what you communicate it upwards to like senior stakeholders, investors is a sanitized version of the detailed project update. So think about what people need to act and base and um, base the information you give to them accordingly. Um, cool. Hopefully that's been useful. We've had a good uh, half an hour rant at you. Um, any questions, as always, do reach out. Anything you think we've missed, any obvious tips for good communication in e-commerce um, technology projects, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Um, but thanks for listening. Keep an ear open for the next episode. They drop every Tuesday. And do subscribe. Um, it makes us feel very happy. And we'd love a like on Apple, Spotify or YouTube. Thanks very much. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.